Well, as you're finding your seats, uh, I also need to comment on the uh, snow just because we haven't had much of it yet. So I, uh, I do like it. I know some of you don't. I think it's fantastic. I like it less uh, when it's like in April, but in uh, January, February, it's kind of expected, you know, so I like when Wisconsin's Wisconsin and uh, we can enjoy uh, that together. Um, so hopefully you're uh, enjoying that uh, as well. And then I also, you know, I mean, um, scripture talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn. We need to, I just need to acknowledge, you know, that some of us are kind of reeling from the loss last night, the Packers, uh, they broke our hearts once again. Uh, it. uh Man, you know, I, I thought I was kind of protecting my heart, kind of going into it. That, uh, but man, they just they 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 just don't like the playoffs or something. I'm not sure what uh, what is going on, but um, that's okay. It's uh, you know, so if you're a little a little sad this morning, you're still kind of feeling it. I'm uh, admittedly feeling it more than I wish I you know that I like to admit. So um, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Uh, well, let's go ahead and turn our attention to God's word uh, this morning, um, and uh, excited to look at the passage that we're looking at this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, we are in a series that we're calling Unstoppable. We are walking through the Book of Acts together. We started last fall and uh, just jumped in uh, back in uh, last week. And you have not missed much. There's still uh, plenty more uh, to go. And so um, uh, we are continuing, though, and the, the passage we're looking at this morning um, it tells uh, the story, uh, kind of the, um, shares us, shows us a little bit of the life um, of this, uh, this, this faithful uh, servant in the church. His name was Stephen. And uh, Stephen, um, if I could, just kind of set it up. I think sometimes we come across these passages like we're going to come across this morning. And um, we assume or sort of assign uh, to them sort of superhuman powers, right? Like they're like, these guys are wearing capes, their name's in the Bible, they got to be uh, so much different than you or I. And uh, they got to have uh, things that I don't have, or, you know, I could never do the things that they do, and that sort of thing. But I think if I could, if I'd like to sort of begin by just sort of framing and sort of saying, like, Stephen was just a normal, everyday kind of servant within the church. Like, he's going to do some incredible stuff. Like, he, he, he knows his word. He, um, he is uh, going to preach this sermon. He's going to, um, his, his, his life, tragically, is going to be taken from him um, in a pretty tragic way. Uh, but... Um, Stephen was just a normal, ordinary guy. And I think that's helpful for us to remember as we look at this story, because again, so many times I think we think that, well, that's just you know, an example from the Bible, and so therefore that, that person um, is so, so different uh, from you or from me. And um, the case is, 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 is that he was just a servant in the church. He wasn't um, a professional. Um, he wasn't um, on church staff. He um, you know, didn't have some insane um, kind of crazy abilities that you and I uh, could never have. Um, rather, what we see is the simple power of God's work um, actively uh, living out in his life and his faithfulness to that, his faithfulness to follow. And so this is where we're going this morning. So what we want to see is there's a lot that we're going to cover, okay? So hopefully you brought your copy of uh, Scripture. If you didn't, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. I'd love for you to have a copy of Scripture in front of you. You can um, open up your phone and, and use that if, if, you, if that's uh, your preferred method. That's okay, too. Um, but we're not going to have the uh, scriptures up on the screen or, or um, before you this morning just simply because there's so many of them. We're going to go through, and, and trust me, we're going to get through them all, uh, 68 verses this morning. And so if you were with us last week, we did seven. So um, if, that's, if that's like terrifying you, um, just let me just put that at ease. We're, we're not going to read even all of them, um, but we're going we're gonna to kind of like do a flyby overview of them. 
And what I'd love to uh, sort of say is that we're going to look at the life and the example that Stephen set for us. I think there's some principles, some things that we can draw out from his life, some, uh, maybe some challenges, maybe some, um, some things that, uh, maybe some reminders for us. But, but all of this is kind of set by the example that Stephen did in his life and in his faithfulness and even in his dying. And so that's where we're going this morning. Um, I, I trust it's going to be an encouragement to us, but to that end, let me just pray and ask that God would uh, teach us now. Um, let's ask for his help in, in, in opening his word. God, we thank you. We thank you for your perfect, um, your perfect word, uh, God, your word to us, and um, Lord, the, the way that you have given us your word and, and, and the instruction, uh, God, the encouragement, um, Oftentimes, the direction, God, that you have laid out for us so uh, clearly as we study it together, Lord, I pray that we would apply this, that we would hear from you, Lord, from your spirit. Would you lead us into what you would have us um, respond to, decide uh, to do, God, um, changes that need to take place, God, whatever it might be, would we um, just have ears to hear um, and hearts to respond this morning uh, to you and to um, your uh, teaching for us. And so, God, I pray that you would lead us, that your spirit would speak uh, to us now. And we pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, what I want to do is uh, we're just going to do a flyby of the story, and then we're going to walk back through and see these principles from the examples, right, that Stephen sets uh, for us. So to frame it up, kind of in the beginning of chapter 6 in the book of Acts, hopefully you're there now, um, if you were with us last week, uh, you, you know this, but just by way of review or sort of, um, you know, to catch you up if you're, if you're not, um, haven't, weren't here, uh, but we looked at this passage at the beginning of 6 where there was a problem in the church, all right, some problems come up in the church. There was a problem in the, the early church. And the problem was this, is that in the distribution of food to widows, the Hellenist widows were getting overlooked, or at least this was the complaint, is that the Hellenist widows were getting overlooked uh, uh, by the Hebrews. And so uh, this kind of made its way up to the leadership and they addressed it. They wanted to fix the problem. And in doing so, they, they acknowledged, they're like, you know what, we, this is not good. Like, we need to address this, but... In order to address it, we can't give up preaching the word. We've been called to do this, and this is so important for the church. And so, um, we're, and they said it this way, we're not, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It wasn't that it was beneath them. It was that this both were so important, and they knew that they needed to be focused on the preaching of God's word, so they wanted to make sure that this didn't get overlooked. And so what they said is choose seven men to oversee this and make sure that this is carried out. And so they did. They, they chose these seven men. And so this is where we first meet Stephen. It's verse 5 of chapter 6. It says, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Okay? So Stephen, is where, this is where we meet him. He is a servant, actively serving in the church. And as a result of Stephen, along with these other men and women faithfully kind of serving, the word of God is continuing to go forth Right? The word of God is continuing to be preached, and we see that the word of God continued to increase, verse 7, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We said it's interesting that they would point to and point out the, the, the fact that the priests were coming to faith, but you know, one of the things that I think um, the reasons for that, of why he points out the priests, is the priests were the ones in the Jewish uh, sort of tradition and, and culture and the way that they were working out. The priests were the ones entrusted with the caring for and the distribution of food to the poor. And so here you have these priests who were called to by, um, by, by their tradition and by the culture that they uh, should be um, uh, 
giving out this food, and then you have the church raising up, and they're doing the same thing. And so that, like resonated with them. They saw what the church was doing, and so they saw people, people's faithfulness, like Stephen, serving tables, taking care of the widows, taking care of the poor, and, and they're like, I want to follow this, this guy, right? I want to follow this same Jesus. And so the priests were coming to faith. Well, it's one thing when, you know, just people are kind of coming, but now there's like, these, these people sort of have influence. And so I think what's happening is they're taking notice. Look at verse eight. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrians and the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. You see all of these names, this, this synagogue, this was a Hellenist Synagogue. This was a Greek uh, sort of uh, Greek culture uh, synagogue. That's what Hellenist means, and um, and I think what happened was is as these priests were coming to faith, they're like, well, wait a second. No, these are these are some of our leaders. These are people of influence, right? It would be like sort of the city council all sort of coming to faith, and then all of a sudden, like, wait a second, like that's they're kind of making some decisions for us. They're they're setting the trajectory, and so they sort of took issue with that, and so they rose up. They're disputing with Stephen. But notice what happens, verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So he's kind of schooling them and owning them in, uh, in, in it's kind of like they're sparring a little bit and they're not coming out on top. And so verse 11, they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So here we see that Stephen is uh, in this conflict, but now he's under like false attack. They have this kind of sham trial set up and this should remind you of somebody, right? The same thing happened to Jesus. Like false accusation was given of Jesus. And what did they do to sort of bolster the attack is they, they got false witnesses to come and make these accusations. And so this, this isn't true. This isn't what he was saying. This isn't what he was claiming. Yet they're, they're saying that he's gonna destroy the, the temple, that this Jesus is gonna come and destroy this place. He's gonna change all the customs. Everything about us is gonna go, you know. So they're just trying to rile the people up. And uh, maybe, maybe you've been in that situation. Maybe it's not quite as extreme as this, but maybe you've had some false accusations made against you, or maybe there were some uh, unfair assumptions that people made or some motives that people assigned. It's not a good place to be, right? But Stephen, he's in the spot, and uh, he's being told, uh, these lies are being told against him. But notice his response, verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The presence of God is upon him, and it's evident to those that are looking. So I don't know what exactly that looked like, right? But they they noticed what what it's kind of what the passage is pointing out for us is clearly there's a recognition of the presence of God upon the life of Stephen in this moment, in this situation. In verse 7, the high priest said, Are these things so? (laughs) And Stephen said, and then you got to take a big breath, right? Because he just, the next um, 60 or whatever, 53 verses are the sermon of Stephen, 
Are these things so? Stephen preaches a sermon. And this is a great sermon, okay? We could take another week or two. We could go through this sermon. I've actually, um, I don't think I've done it here, but I've preached um, on this entire sermon before, and I love the sermon that, Pete, that um, Stephen preaches. It's interesting. It's actually the longest recorded sermon that we have in the entire book of Acts. And so Stephen is unpacking, and we have it all recorded here. He's unpacking for them um, the history of um, of, of, of uh, God's people and, and God's story. Um, he's like unpacking the Bible for them and, um, and reminding them of things that they know, but he's like framing them up and saying, listen, you've missed it. Like he's, 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 he's kind of trying to show them that they have missed what God has been doing for generations and, and, and what, who Jesus truly was and all of these things. And so if we just want to skip to sort of the conclusion of it all, it sort of lands here and it lands in a pretty tough spot. Verse 51. Stephen says this to the people. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in, in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which, of you. which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You're like, man, that's kind of aggressive. You're right. Like, that is very aggressive, right? He's kind of stepping on toes. He's stomping on toes. Like, he is, he is like, going after them. Why? Because he's like, you missed it. You're, you're not seeing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so he is calling them to action. He's calling them to, like, Conviction to repentance to response. And this doesn't go well for him. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. I always like to remind people once in a while, I think people sometimes forget that I can see all of you like very clearly. I can't see you online so much. Maybe that's why you're online. But I can see all of you in your faces. You look fantastic. I'm glad you're here today. I love, love seeing you. Um, but sometimes... Um, you know, you forget. And so if, you know, you were up a little late last night or didn't quite get enough sleep and you're kind of catching up now, I see that, all right? It hurts a little bit, but I get it. I've been there myself, right? Uh, others of you, I can tell when you're like, you know, tracking, you're kind of nodding along. I like that. Um, you can be a little more vocal. If you wanted to like say things, that would actually be even encouraging to me. Um, I heard, I was with a bunch of pastors this week and pastors always say some of the funniest things, especially when they're all together. Like one of them was like, um, you know, for every amen or every kind of, you know, uh, you know, talking that you do, I'll take like 30 seconds off of this, uh, this teaching, you know, so you can better believe there was like tons of amen going on, right? Um, another preacher got up and he was like, hey, I, you're wondering if I can preach? Well, I'm wondering if you can say amen. And, you know, he's kind of like trying to encourage. So, you know, when you do that, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's helpful. Not because I'm like, I don't need encouragement, but I just want to know that we're sort of tracking. Because I can also tell sometimes like there's like this furled brow and I'm like, are you thinking or are you angry? You know, or, or maybe you just like, <laughs> I don't know, you're thinking about something totally else. But here's the situation. As Stephen's looking at them, they were angry. He could tell. How could he tell? Because they were grinding their teeth. Hopefully, you know, that doesn't happen too often when you're here, but they're like, you know, like just grinding their teeth. And um, so much so that, that that's what gets recorded, right? But verse 55, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, that was like 
That was final straw. They lose it. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city. They dragged him out, and they stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. But when he said this, he fell asleep. So we see this is uh, this little vignette that we have, this little day in the life of Stephen. I don't think when the day began that he knew it was his last, but certainly um, this was his last days, his last breaths, um, the last moments recorded. And I think in this short little story, we see and learn a lot about Stephen. And, and, and God has for us some things that I think he wants us to emulate, us to follow, uh, things that he's called us to, that Stephen was living out. And so Stephen, for us, again, is an ordinary guy who is an incredible example for us in the church today. So what I want, to see, what I want us to see this morning is there's, there's kind of four ways that Stephen is an example for us and four ways that we can uh, also seek to, to live in this same way, things that God has called us to. Can I give them to you? If you're taking notes, you can write this one down. Here's the first one. It's, uh, we see in, in Stephen's life a humble and active servanthood toward others. You see this humble and active servanthood toward others. Back in verse, or sorry, back in verse cha- or chapter six, rather, um, when we first meet Stephen, again he was serving tables. It's not the most glamorous of jobs, right? Um, he was making sure that the food was all distributed. Not trying to make a judgment call on that, but like that's not exactly this position of prominence. In fact, the, the, the guys that were uh, preaching were saying, listen, we need to keep preaching, so we need to find someone to do this. But what you understand and what we know about Stephen, it says that he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He was willing to work and serve in whatever capacity it was. And I think as you read through Stephen's uh, sermon, you understand and you know he had the ability to teach. Like he had the gift of preaching, for sure. He knew God's word, He was able to uh, influence people and and share with people. And so here he is serving in this way. Um, And I think sometimes, sometimes if we're not careful, I think we tend to elevate certain positions or certain places of service. And we're like, I want those, right? And and some of the stuff might be a bit um, sort of beneath us or too simple, but that was never Stephen's um, attitude. You get the idea that he he was just humbly and serving other uh, people. And through that, you see that God is just working, even in his serving of tables. Verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. That's all that we get. We don't know what those were. We, we, we don't know exactly, like, what, what kind of signs, what kind of wonders, like, what were the things that he was doing? But clearly, God was multiplying his ministry, using him and his faithfulness to serve other people. Well, here's the thing that I think we have to understand is that we need to be about and for um, Jesus before ourselves. And I know, <laughs> I know that we would say that, but I think the reality is this, is do we actually believe that? Like, is that a, is that a truth that we, we um, practically are living out? Because I think cognitively, many of us would say, yeah, no, no, I, I'm, I'm serving Christ. But so many times the way that we serve or kind of the conditions around when we serve has a lot more to do about us than it does about Jesus. 
And you see, Stephen was willing. I mean, his, his humble kind of attitude toward this, this, this active way that he was going about serving, clearly he was, it was, Stephen was saying constantly, his life said, this is not about me. This is about Jesus. I want to see Jesus made manifest. I want to see Jesus lifted high. I want to see Jesus put on display. This isn't about my gifting and my prominence and my position and my priority. And let me tell you, after I've, I've served with the church for a long time, not just this church, but other churches. And, and over time, I've seen at times people, us, we get in this place where we desire a particular place or a particular position or a particular uh, prioritization in ministry. And sometimes it distracts or takes away from the prominence of Jesus as we serve. It's him who's we, who we're serving. But you see that he's, he's clearly doing this and it was noticeable to everybody. How do I know that? From verse 15, it says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like that of an angel. The statement reminds me of Psalm 34, 5, which says this, Those who look to the Lord, or those who look to him, are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. See, Stephen was looking to Jesus Christ, and his face was radiant. And so in this moment, he had no need, no reason uh, to be ashamed. And so again, I, I think we just need to start there. As I said before, Stephen doesn't have a cape. He's not some superhero. He's not even an apostle. He's not a professional uh, part of the church. He's not paid like staff member. He's like Joe church member. And what's he doing? He is faithfully serving right where he is. One of the ways that I often like to ask is like, how do you know where you're supposed to be serving? Well, I don't know where you're supposed to be serving someday, but I know where you're supposed to be serving right now. And that is, you just have to look down at your feet. Like, not necessarily at this very moment, because your feet, especially you guys online, might be in, like, you know, weird spot. I don't know. Um, you got them kind of up on, the, <laughs> on the, uh, the ottoman or something, and you're like, what? Yeah. But, if, you know, kind of where are you standing in life? Like, what are, the, what are the spheres of influence that you have, right? Who are the people around you? Who are the relationships that God's entrusted you to? What's this season of life look like for you? And how are you being faithful in where you're at right now? I think so many times we can spend so much of our energy thinking about what's next or what God might be calling us to someday that we miss some of the opportunities that we have right around us. I was talking with somebody after the first service and he came up and he said, listen, um, that's what I needed to hear today because I live in a building with literally hundreds of people and there are so many opportunities for ministry right here. And I, I've been looking for all these other opportunities outside, and I think I really, what God's saying to me is I need to be actively ministering right here where God has me right now. I love that. But what is your place of influence? Where, where are the relationships that God has you? Because what Stephen was doing is humbly serving faithfully right where he was at. So he was asked to serve, serve tables. He's like, great. He had this opportunity to speak and to proclaim God's the truth of God. Great. He was a servant. Doing what? Trying to put Jesus on display. Faithfully serving in this way. Is this your heart in serving? Are you trying to say less of me, more of him, right? More of others. This is for others. It's hard. It's, 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 <laughs> it's sacrificial. But Stephen's doing exactly that which he saw his Savior do, right? He heard stories of, of Jesus putting on that servant's towel and getting down and washing the feet of those who followed him. This is the example that's been set by us, uh, for us by our Savior. 
And Stephen was faithfully living that out. The second place that we see an example for Stephen is this. Um, it's a steadfast commitment to the word of God. Stephen was committed to the word of God, and it's evident in so many ways. Um, we get the sense before we even hear from Stephen, right, that he understood the importance of the word of God being preached. Right? That was the whole reason that he moved into this position that he was asked to do. As he served serving tables, what he was doing was he was allowing for the apostles to be able to preach the word of God. And so he understood and recognized the need and the importance of the word of God being preached, right? And so he, he clearly is, is, is serving in this way so that it can do it. But he's not just doing it so it can happen for other people. He's clearly put himself under the teaching of God's word. How does he know all these things, right? How has he grown in this, this knowledge? It's because he's been sitting under the teaching of faithful men, like teaching God's word here. He's, he's been under this teaching and he's been hearing from them. And he's been meditating on God's word himself. He's been digging into and getting into scripture. And so clearly when the opportunity came for him to be able to preach, he was ready to go. Like he's like, yes, let me tell you what God's word says. And he is referencing Torah. He's referencing the prophets. He's referencing um, the, uh, the, 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 the Psalms and, and just the, the history, right? He's, he's pointing to all these things and he's bringing it all together. And he's like, let me show you how all of these things point to Jesus Christ. These were all a foreshadowing and a forecoming of Jesus fulfilling all of this. He knows and loves the Bible. Right? He had the word of God written on his heart and he was ready to be able to do it. And I wonder, you know, are we committed to the word of God? I know we say that corporately. One of our pillars is proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. That's what we seek to do here at our church, and that's not just my job, that's your job too, okay? We're all in this together. We're proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, but in order to do that, we have to be in and know and be saturated by, affected by the word of God. And so many times, you know, I think this comes up, and so I'm always looking for fresh ways to sort of say the same thing over and over again, right? And... Um, uh, I came across this study. It was um, referenced in, in some of the study I was, I was doing this week, but um, there's this uh, study that was done uh, several years ago uh, by the Center for Bible Engagement. And what they did was they um, surveyed and kind of um, had, um, had these uh, about 9,000 people, close to 9,000, fill out um, this, uh, this, this survey trying to uh, gauge and, and understand the impact of, of time in God's word on their life. And here is the crazy... Uh, the crazy thing that I just wanted to share with you that I thought was just so, um, so impactful and so insightful for us. They asked the questions around how often are you listening to or hearing or responding to, like in the word of God. And um, what they saw was is that there was some effect that happened um, by their time in the word of God. But here's the crazy thing is that if it was like just one time a week or if it was twice a week or if it was three times a week, they saw like a little bit of, uh, of, of impact and change, but then what happened was, is once they hit day four, so people that were in God's word for four days or more, so the majority of the days, like more days in God's word than not in God's word, there was this huge spike in the impact and effect on, on their life. And what they saw was that these destructive behaviors that they were specifically asking questions around, like drunkenness, use of pornography, gambling, um, all of these things, what they were seeing is they were going down by like 60 to 
And this was the, 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 like the main factor that they were seeing was just being in God's word, reading God's word four or more times a week. But on top of that, what they were also seeing was that discipleship activity was going up. People that were spending four or more times in God's word were sharing their faith 228% more. They were discipling others 231% more. And they were memorizing scripture 407% more. So that's something, I think that that was really kind of, I think, encouraging, challenging, convicting to me is that, you know, sometimes it's like, well, I had a busy week or, or, you know, don't get in. Or let's just be honest, some of us, we just don't have a plan. I kind of get in God's word when I get in God's word. Or this, even worse, this is is God's word. This is when I hear it, which this is good. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is helpful for us, but this isn't enough. And so there's something about this regularity of getting into God's word. And here was some empirical data that I thought was just so helpful. And one of the things that they looked at, they're like, well, you know, what, are there other factors? Like, what else is it? Is there church attendance? Is there engaging with, um, with other believers? Like, what are those things? So they surveyed like another 3,000 people and tried to isolate that. I think it was less tied to Christians and just what was that? And what they were seeing is that just the same results is, yes, all those other things, it's great. You know, they saw improvement from people coming to church and being in and around uh, other believers and, and engaging um, in some of these other things. But the single greatest impact that was having effect on the lives of people was being in God's word four or more times a week. So I say all that to say, listen, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't to, uh, to say that we, um, you know, that if, if you're not doing that, that... that um, you know, you're, you're terrible and you, you need to just pack up and go, like that you're, you're, you're missing something. But what you're doing is you're missing out on the, I think, the blessing that God has for us. He's given us his word. It's an intre- a tremendous gift. And Stephen clearly understood and recognized the power of that on his life. I wonder what changes would happen in our life if we began to study and to read, to listen, to hear, to respond to the word of God throughout our week, and dedicate ourselves to that. Clearly, this was, for Stephen, a tremendous thing in his life. He had the steadfast commitment to the Word of God, and so when he had opportunity then, he began to unpack for them what the Word of God said. And again, we're not going to go through the entire sermon. It's a great sermon. I would encourage you this week to do that, to look through and read this sermon. It's it's a fantastic um, sermon But if I could sort of summarize it into, um, there's kind of three major points. I said I have four points this morning. Any good sermon has like three, right? So um, uh, take take from that what you will, right? So he has three, uh, three major kind of things that he's attacking, but these like sort of pillars that they had in Judaism was the land, the law, and the temple. And they said this, they're like, well, we dwell in this land, and this is where God's presence is, because if we are here, God is here with us. And what he says, even in verse two, he says, hear me. The Lord, the glory of God, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he went into Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. So he's like, God in all his glory came to Abraham before he was even in the land. So it wasn't required that he had to be here to receive and be, he's like, God is so much bigger than that, right? His glory spans the entire planet. It's not just about what's happening right here in this place. He goes on as he continues through in the sermon and he, he sort of attacks the, the law, right? Because they said that, that we have been given Moses' law and so if we're faithful to, um, to follow Moses' law, that this is going to lead us to redemption, that we are gonna be made righteous because of uh, faithfully following through in these things. 
And what his point was is he's like, no, the law doesn't save you. The law doesn't redeem you. All that the law has done is show us how much we need a savior. Like, brothers, sisters, like for generations, we have constantly fallen short of the law. We have not held it up perfectly. All that the law has done is showed us our need for something else and something better, something greater. And what God was saying all the while is the law was never meant to save you. The law was meant to show you your need for saving. And so what, Jesus, what God did is he sent his son, Jesus, who perfectly fulfilled the law. And he's like, redemption is not found in Moses' law. Redemption is found in the person of Jesus Christ and his perfection, his sinlessness, his death, his resurrection applied to you. It's like, this is why Jesus came. He's our savior. He's the Messiah that the law has been pointing to. And so he goes after the law. And then the third thing, he kind of goes after the temple. There was a, a bit of a saying in Judaism. It, it kind of basically expressed this idea that God is surely with us. We have the temple. They're like, look, look at the temple. Like, clearly God's presence is here. This is where he dwells. This is where he, he comes down and visits with men. And, and this, is, this is the place. And what Stephen says and, and kind of points to in... Um, Verses 48 through 50, he says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Right? Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? He's like, it's not about this place. Right? God was perfectly content to meet with his people in a tent for a very long time. And even once they got into the land, David's like, I'm going to build the temple. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> your son's going to do that. I don't, I don't need a temple yet. He's like, this is not proving God's grace over us and his, his uh, acceptance and, 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 and uh, our perfection by any stretch. So he's kind of attacking all of these things, this commitment to the word of God. So let's not miss this church. I think sometimes we do the exact same thing, right? We tend to take bits and pieces and we sort of assume things without really... Does, does the Bible teach that? Some, and I don't think it's many in this church, but some, what we're seeing, let me just tell you what you're seeing around this, 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 this country especially. Some have taken um, sort of the patriotic kind of claim, the, the blessing, I mean, let me be honest, like, I'll be the first to say I love this country, right? Love the freedoms that we have, love, love many parts of our history and all who we are, and this is a fantastic country. But some have claimed and said that, that this is like God's country. <laughs> let me just tell you, I've traveled many places around our world, and God is actively working all across this planet. In fact, he is doing some really cool things not in this country. There are many things that we are missing out on him because we have been so distracted and so, so many things, but yet some within the church would say, no, I have blessing because I live in the U.S. of A., right? Well, I've read all the way to the end of scripture. I would encourage you to do that too. You're going to never see the United States of America in there, Okay. It's not in there. So at some point, something's going to happen or something, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not referenced. So I don't know what's coming, but like we, we got to be careful because if we're like them and we're like, hey, I live here. This is the greatest country on earth. I have all. Listen, that is not the promise and the place that we look to for God's blessing. God is working everywhere. He loves the world. He loves all the cultures, all the countries, all that is going on. And he is working in some other places just incredibly, incredibly. We do the same thing with the law, right? We, we, again, I said, we love, love this book, 
This is fantastic. This is a gift from God to us. We say that this is one of our pillars. We hold this up, but let's be careful because sometimes we love the book more than the one than the author who wrote it. Right? We get distracted. We get into this, and I'm all about these words and what it says, and we miss the person who said them. This is meant to draw us to and bring us to our heavenly Father. It's to make us understand and know who He is. That we would fall more in love and 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 follow more closely Jesus. Right? That we would we would be a, have a greater understanding of Him. And so let's be careful that we don't hold this up and give ourselves to this. But when we give ourselves to God. And what he's doing, it's Jesus, it's the person and the temple for us. We gather together in church and there's lots of things that we love about church and we love about this, this community and this body. And let's be honest, um, this is a huge blessing in many ways to us. But again, this is not the place of God's presence. God is working in, 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 in so many different ways. And, and again, sometimes we get so caught up in, in this that we miss that again, this is meant to draw us to him. This is not the place. And so how do, we, how do we make sure that we're not taking some of these things, these blessings, uh, or the way that we, I've said it before, is that we take good things and make them ultimate things, a steadfast commitment to the word of God. As we are in, hearing, responding, reflecting, meditating, memorizing, applying God's word, it will have impact on our lives. You saw that in the life of Stephen. This was, his life was shaped by the word of God. So much so, that leads us to our next example that we have. Jot this down if you're taking notes. It's a clear display of truth and grace to the watching world. There was a clear display of truth and grace to the watching world. We already read the conclusion, but let's look at it again. Verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. This was an attack for sure. He is trying to point out the error of their ways. And this phrase, you stiff-necked people, um, this is a phrase or kind of an um, expression, you know, that resisting God, right? Like refusing to bend to God's leading, uh, a determination to uphold my will and my way and what I want. This was used by many of the prophets, you stiff-necked people. He's saying uncircumcised in your heart and ears, like you have not allowed God to shape you and to change you. He wants to uh, take away, right, that which is unclean. He wants to, to, to make you new. And you may have been physically circumcised, but your heart and ears have not. You need to be changed by God. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You're, you're ignoring, rather, you're even fighting against what God is currently doing here. This is what your parents did, and this is what you're doing. You're doing it all over again. He's like, your parents killed all the prophets that came before him. What did you do? Jesus himself came. The son of God, the righteous one came. It was announced beforehand. We knew he was coming. And what did we do? We betrayed and we murdered him. And now you have the law. Like the angels have given us the law. And you're not keeping it. God has given us all these blessings, all these things, and you are missing it. This is truth. But let's, not, let's, let's be very clear of what's going on here. This is truth with grace. He's not saying this to just tear them down and make them feel awful. He is calling them to repentance. He's calling them to conviction. He cares for them. So he's showing grace and saying hard things. 
You know, sometimes we need to do this in each other. We need to do this as we open up God's word. We need to say hard things to each other. Hey, that's not really right, or you shouldn't be doing that, or that's not good for you, and that's hard to do. But we need grace with it as well. In Ephesians, we're called to be people of both truth and grace. Where do we see the grace on display? Well, let's scan ahead to the very last words he says, right? As he fell on his knees, verse 60, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I love displays. Like being, Christ-likeness is actually being like Christ. <laughs> I think all of us would love to say that we are growing in Christ-likeness. Sometimes we are not very much like Jesus Christ. Stephen, what an example, right? Falsely accused, put on trial, now dragged out of the city, being stoned. And what does he do? He utters almost the exact same words that Jesus Christ said as he hung on the cross. What did Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen says, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. You can see the brokenness of his heart. He wanted them to know and to believe the love, the grace that God was holding out to them. He's not calling them stiff-necked people so that they uh, feel guilty and go home and feel terrible about themselves. He's calling them a stiff-necked people so that they change. That they say, yeah, I am being stiff-necked. I'm not listening to God. I need to respond to who he is and what he's done. And so there's grace. There's both truth and grace. And listen, we need both. We need both. I've heard it described this way, that, that truth without grace is brutality, or it can be called fundamentalism, right? That's easy for the world to write off. If all we are is just spouting off truth and that kind of thing, the world can just write us off. They're like, That's, there's no love in that. But if all we are is grace and no truth, that's just sentimentality. Like we're not, that's not going to affect change in the lives of anybody. All grace, all grace, no truth. I mean, imagine you go into your doctor and you're like, hey, I've got some health things. And he's like, ah, oh, you're doing fine. Just keep going, whatever you're doing, right? But don't you have something for me? Don't you see something that's wrong? Ah, we could talk about that, but let's just talk about the good things, right? I just want to show you, you know, like, no, give me some truth, man. Like, tell me what's wrong with me. I want to, I, I got to fix something. There's like, don't you have something for me, right? We want, we want truth and grace from our doctors. We should want truth and grace from each other. This is what Stephen is doing. He's showing truth and grace. But let's be clear about this. When the watching world receives truth and grace, they don't always like it. In fact, they rarely do. You know, if we're following Jesus, we should expect to end up the same place that he went. And so if you're looking for approval from the world, if you want by the world standards for everyone to say, like two thumbs up, good job, gold stars all around, we approve this message, and you're preaching the same thing Jesus did, it's not gonna happen, all right? They killed him. They stoned, they stoned Stephen. This is the destination for those that are truly proclaiming and preaching. I'm not saying like death for ev everyone, but, but I'm saying like misunderstanding, uh, animosity, uh, rage. Like this is the place that people, because when they see it, it, it calls to conviction and it does it in a way that can't be ignored. Again, all truth, no grace, people will write you off. But you tell truth and you say it in a loving, caring way that Jesus did, that resonates with people. They don't like it. It's hard. That's what they were doing. That's why they ground their teeth. That's why they stopped up their ears and they rushed together and they dragged him out of the city. And in doing so, we see our fourth example. And it's this. It's an unwavering trust in the power and goodness of God. 
Stephen puts on full display for us an unwavering trust in the power and goodness of God. In that moment, I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like, but as he's being confronted, right, he looks up and what is God doing? God is ministering to Stephen in that moment. He's giving Stephen exactly what he needs. He's filling him with the boldness and with the conviction. Right? But he says, full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Spirit was filling and speaking through Stephen in this moment. Full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazes up into heaven and he sees the glory of God. And what else does he see? He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is a really unique description. Those of you that know your Bibles, what, <laughs> what is the, the description that we usually have of Jesus in heaven? Is he standing or is he seated? He's usually seated, right? But here he's standing, as if to receive Stephen, as if to say, you know, well done. I'm receiving you. And he said it. He said, I see the heavens open. I see the man, the son of man. This was the, the term that Jesus used to describe himself. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen, so aptly named, his, his name, the name Stephen means crown. It means um, kind of, a, uh, it was this wreath was kind of put on the head of those who were victorious in a race or in an athletic competition, right? And here you have this picture of Stephen at the very end of his day receiving from the Son of Man, the standing reception into his glory. At that moment, they cried out, that loud voice. You see just the anger and the rage and, and just this, this pushing away and they cast him out of the city. And this little minor point here, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. Such an interesting point. One commentator pointed out the reason for that is kind of twofold. One is that it is hard work to stone someone. It's hot, it's long. They had a process in front of them. And so they needed their garments off so they had mobility and freedom to be able to do that. It's brutal, it's evil. But the other reason that we have that is because just pointing out the fact that there was this young man named Saul that was there giving approval and watching over this. Well, here's what's important about this name is that in just a few chapters, as we continue in Acts, Saul is going to have his own encounter with Jesus Christ. And Saul is going to stop his persecution, his chasing down, his murdering of the church, and he's going to give his life to Jesus. And his, Saul, his name will no longer be Saul. It will be changed to Paul. And he is going to, from then, go to every corner right, to the, to the uh, reaches of the known land, and he is going to start churches, and he is going to disciple men and women, and he is going to preach the gospel. He's going to give his life for this Jesus that he is taking this life. And so here you have Saul watching, witnessing, and they see this man Stephen, right? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You have to know that this stuck in the heart of Saul. This this rippled, this affected for a while. This had to have like rumbled about for a while in Stephen's heart. I think, that, or sorry, in Saul's heart. This was a thing that I think God used to bring him to this place of conviction and of repentance. You know it was. You know it was. And so I point all that out to say, listen, listen. Sometimes I think we try and we, we, we don't understand what God's doing in the moment and why he's doing it in the way that he's doing it. We might ask the question like, well, man, Stephen's such a faithful guy. Why would God allow him to be killed in this way? And the answer is, I don't know. 
I, I don't know why God allowed him to do that. Why did he not take him out of that situation, put him on a like, you know, spot on the beach and kind of give him the comfy life and kind of everything that he wants? You know, um, He didn't do that. He allowed him to be killed in that moment. But, but in his death, Stephen was able to have greater impact and greater influence and was used of God in greater ways than he ever could have imagined. And maybe that his sermon alone would have never had. His death echoed through the church and through the lands and through the people. I mean, people were emboldened by this. They heard about this and they're like, this is, this is what God has called us to, right? This is where it's gonna lead. And they, they locked arms and they went forward in this. He used, God used the life and even the death of Stephen. So I wonder for us today, would we have that same unwavering trust in the power and in the goodness of God? We've said all the time, God can use our great times, right, for his kingdom, but so much more, he uses our difficulty and our suffering for his good work. In those moments, we need to trust in his power and in his goodness that he can use even that, right? Would it be said, would we have that open hands with that, that God, even in this, yes, even this, God, I'm gonna give this to you and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna use even this. Right? This was sin done against him. We have had things done to us by others, but even in this, he was willing to give it to the Lord and, and God used it for his goodness. We've told the story a couple times before, but to those of you that have never met, I, I, I wanna um, give an example of this. There's um, a couple in our church, uh, Kevin and Mary Fisher. Kevin, a few years ago, was discovered that he had a rare uh, brain tumor, cancer, um, and they weren't sure what the outcome was going to be. It was actually not, not a very good prognosis, and um, there was not a lot of hope in the situation. But they um, did surgery and, and um, went through a lot of treatments and, and things, and, and every time they kind of go back in for the, uh, the checkup and uh, you know, get a text or get a prayer request or something, they're like, hey, we're going back in. We're going. God has given Kevin um, years of health now. And he continues to get these clean reports, continues to see this. But, but I bring up Kevin um, for this reason, is if you have ever talked to Kevin, it does not take more than a couple minutes for him to share his story and then for him to say, and God is using this. Let me tell you about Jesus and how great my Savior is, right? He is using that. And it was the most tragic thing. I mean, to be, to be sure, like it has affected the life of Kevin and Mary. They have, it's been so, so difficult to walk through this. But, but, but Kevin has trusted, Mary has trusted unwavering the power and goodness of God. He is such an example, an encouragement to me. He's been an encouragement to so many of us, but you know he's using every opportunity he has. People ask all the time, he shares all the time about this thing that he's walking through and he's been able to say, but yeah, let me tell you though about how good my God is. And he is so quick to point to and share. Would you and I, would we have that same trust in the power and the goodness of God? and whatever our days bring, and whatever anyone else would have against us. See, God used this stoning in the life of this ordinary guy, which then impacted thousands upon thousands, generations and generations were impacted because of the faithfulness, the boldness, the conviction of this man. See, you and I, we have that same opportunity before us. Now, again, not because we're so great, but because God is so great. He desires to do great things in and through us. We have to be but willing to just give him our lives. 
And it's not gonna look the same thing, right? We're not all called to the same path. We all have, but I'm telling you, God, with your faithfulness and your willingness, your, your open-handedness with God, that he can do incredible things through you. We are called to steward this gospel that we have been entrusted with. And I'm telling you today, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, he's speaking to you even now. He's saying, stop resisting. Don't resist. Don't run. Don't harden your heart. Come to me and you will be redeemed and you will be made new and you'll have purpose and you'll have meaning and you'll know the God that created you. This is what God is saying to us through his son, Jesus Christ. That is still the same message that we carry. This is still the same thing that's happening today. And so would we be encouraged by this church? Would we be strengthened by this example? And let's live in the boldness of what God's called us to do wherever that may take us. Let's pray. God, I want to ask for your power to be at work in our lives. God, and in this church. Lord, so many times it's easy for us with clenched fists to hold tightly to our plans, to our ways, to our understanding. But Lord, I ask that you would break down that resistance, God, that you would soften our hearts, that we with open hands would humbly say, God, use me. Wherever that may be, God, in whatever capacity, Lord, I know this, that you've asked for our life. And even today, there's people that are still giving of their life, God, dying for you because you're worth it. God, you gave your life to us. We want to give and live fully to you and for you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us with that, God, that you would give us, as you gave Stephen, your power, God, your grace. Would you make us full of faith? Would your Holy Spirit be upon us and working in us and leading us in every area, God, every opportunity, every hour of our lives, God, we want to follow you. And so I pray that you would do that work. God, for those that have been resisting, God, that you're calling to yourself, I pray that you would show yourself faithful and true. God, would you show yourself to be the Savior that you are. God, we want to respond to you. We want to worship you. We want to live for you. And so I pray that you'd help us to do that together as a church, as a people, God, in our homes, our streets, in our offices, wherever that might be, God, that we would live this truth out. God, we ask for your powerful hand to be at work in us. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.